we do live in a world that is rife with sin, do we not? There's sin, there's wickedness, there is evil in the world around us. We see the morality of our country seemingly to be in a death spin. There are wicked leaders in position of power, both here in America and around the world as well. We see children sacrificed in the name of convenience. We see issues of injustice uh, that is done in a variety of ways. Our justice systems are corrupt. We see the wicked go unpunished. We see innocent behind bars. Christians are persecuted around the world at a record pace. In fact, the current statistics, I believe, are 11 Christians die for their faith every single day. 245 million Christians will face some form of religious persecution because of their commitment to Jesus Christ. And it's easy for us to look out into the world and to decry the evil that we see. But so sadly, as as sadly is the case, even when we look into places that profess to be the church, we would think things should be better, but often... We find that our own churches are full of sinners who so often fail to fulfill the responsibilities given by God, fail to live consistently with the message that we proclaim. Sadly, it seems that we can't even go like a week without hearing about some new scandal that's happening within some church bringing shame and reproach to the name of Christ. When we consider the weight of all of that, there's this sin, there's this wickedness that exists within the world, there's persecution against the church, even many churches are, leaders within churches and different individuals are living inconsistently with the message of the gospel and there's sin within the church, how is it that God's church does not just die out? It should be done with by now, right? How does the kingdom of God survive? Well, we're going to be back in Mark chapter 4 this morning, and we're going to find Jesus giving several parables. We had this first parable that he gave us last week, the parable of the soils. In that parable, we saw how different people respond differently to the Word of God. Some reject the Word of God, and they do it for different reasons. Some seem to embrace the Word of God at first, but then they later fall away. And it can become easy for us to be discouraged in the midst of all this. Perhaps even within your own lives, you have sought to sow gospel seeds into the lives of other individuals, and it's just not seeming to produce any fruit. And we can become discouraged by this. We can fear the rejection that we could face. We could fear that we face the discouragement of just the sin-sickened world around us. And if that isn't enough, there are those who do actively, as mentioned, try to shut down God's people all over the world through the persecution, intimidation, and harassment, etc. So how again, how does, how does the kingdom of God advance? How does it survive all of this? Well, the audience to which Mark was originally writing was a persecuted audience. And when we were first opening up the, the, this book of Mark and considering the background information and the people that Mark wrote to, this was a, a persecuted church in the midst of things. And so as, as, as Mark is writing and he's seeking to encourage the church, he writes to them and wants them to understand that the kingdom of God will advance. 
Jesus gives us the parable of the soils to remind us that though man, many will reject Jesus Christ and His message, there are some who will embrace the truth and will produce gospel fruit, life-transforming things will happen in their hearts and lives as they embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in today's text, Jesus gives us three more teachings about the nature of the kingdom of God, where we see that the kingdom of God cannot be defeated. The kingdom of God cannot be defeated. Well, why not? Why can't this happen? Well, there are three things that Jesus is going to teach us today about the nature of the kingdom. The first is that the kingdom of God will not remain hidden. The kingdom of God grows often by unknown means, and that though the kingdom of God starts small, it grows, and it will grow to epic proportions. Let's pick things up in Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 21. And he said to them, this is of course Jesus continuing to teach, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and, and, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. As Jesus is continuing to teach his disciples, of course, the previous parable, Jesus provided the interpretation of that parable for us. He does not do, do so here. But when we consider the context of what's going on here, you know, there are some that debate about what is this lamp that Jesus is talking about. That's an that's a analogy for something. What is he talking about? Well, I believe this refers to the very kingdom of God itself, considering the context where Jesus is teaching about the nature of the kingdom. In the parable of the soils, in his explanation, Jesus says the secret of the kingdom of God is like this. And later on, in the next parables that we're about to see, he's going to say the kingdom of God is as if some should scatter seed. What shall we compare the kingdom of God? Okay, he's, he's talking about the kingdom. He's teaching about the kingdom. And so when he speaks of the light here, he speaks of the light of the kingdom of God. He says this, okay, when, 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 the, when everything gets dark... Now, not long ago, we had the power go out, right? I don't know. Did everybody lose power? There's quite a few people. No, you guys didn't lose power? We lost power. We were out of power for a few hours this last week. Uh, it wasn't even a stormy day. It was kind of an unusual thing. Um, and then a couple nights ago, there was a transformer that blew in our neighborhood. It was a big lob pop, 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 and a whole bunch of people were without power for several hours in the night. Well, what do you do when the power goes out and it's night, but you still need to see and you need to get around? What do you do? Well, you can light a candle, right? That'll bring some light. Or you can get a lantern out. You can get your flashlights out and stuff. Well, where do you put that candle? Where do you put those flashlights? Do you put it under the bed? No. Oh, that's silly, right? Do you put it under a basket? No, like, of course not. And that Jesus is kind of is making that same point. It's, it's, all, it's an absurd suggestion that you would do that. He says, no, you, you don't put it under a basket. You don't put it under a bed. You put it on the stand. You put it up high. You put it in a place where it shines light everywhere. And this is the nature 
of the kingdom. The kingdom is not going to remain hidden. The proper place is to put it right out there in the open where it can shine light to all those who are around. So it is with the kingdom of God. Jesus came to bring the revelation of the kingdom. He's teaching about the kingdom. He's proclaiming entrance into the kingdom through repentance and faith in the good news. But even during Jesus' ministry, we find that there were points where Jesus was concealing information in the form of parables or even instructing individuals to not speak about Jesus. So we see this with some of the demons. He's cast them out and they're speaking things. And he says, you be silent. There's another man. He heals this man and he tells this man, don't tell anyone about this. Keep it to yourself. Well, here Jesus says, there is a point when everything is going to be revealed. There will be a time when nothing will remain hidden. In fact, Jesus says in in verse 22 that actually the purpose for the concealment is so that it could be revealed at a point. Like there, there was that time coming. There is a proper point for this revelation to come and everything will be revealed. Nothing will remain hidden. Jesus said in the last section that everything comes in parables for a reason. The concealment is intentional, but is concealed so that it can be revealed at the proper time in the proper manner. And there's, there's multiple layers of the revelation of the kingdom as it comes about. As Jesus begins teaching about the kingdom, he does so in a, in a progressive way, teaching more information as the people are able to receive it. But there is going to come a day when the kingdom will be fully revealed in all of its splendor and all of its glory when Jesus Christ comes back and sets up his kingdom on earth. And there will be a day of judgment when every secret thing will be revealed and Christ will rule and reign for always and eternity. But even here in this text, Jesus is teaching us that some aspects of the kingdom we're already being revealed. But how we respond to that revelation is critical. Look at the next verse, verse 24. He says, or even verse 23 rather, he, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And then in verse 24, he says, pay attention to what you hear. Jesus is emphasizing the need to listen. Emphasizing the importance paying attention to what is going on. Of course, last week we had the parable of the soils, and one of the key points of that, of that parable teaching was that hearing, listening to the Word of God was, was a key aspect. Those who bore fruit were those who heard and received and were obedient to the Word. And Jesus said at the conclusion of that parable, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Listening to the Word of God is, is a critical aspect of the kingdom. Why? Why is it so important? Well, Jesus explains, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added. The one who has, more will be given. The one who does not have, even what he has, will be taken away. See, how you respond to Jesus, how you respond to his revelation is critical for your life. 
those who reject Christ eventually, even the, even the possibility of repentance is gone from them, eventually. While they're still living, there's still opportunity for repent, but, but there is no repentance in the grave, right? There, there comes a point where you go past the point of no return. Some people get so hard-hearted to the gospel that, in a sense, their fate is sealed. We see this with, with the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that we saw several weeks ago, that this will not be forgiven anyone who, goes, who utters this, who commits this sin, attributing the works of Jesus Christ to the devil. That's a persistent, willful, persistent rejection of Jesus Christ. The light that they had received, even what they received, will eventually be taken from them. If you think about this, the analogy of the light, all right? There's a candle, and it's dark, and so as we we set the candle out up in a high place where it's going to shine light everywhere, well, what happens if you turn your back on that light and you begin walking away from it? You walk into the darkness, right? What you find there is only more darkness, and the further you go, the darker it gets. Even the light that was there is eventually removed. He who has, more will be given, but the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. But... On the flip side, there is the good news in the midst of this. If you, if you come to light, if you heed the light, if you listen to the words of Christ, listen to what He has communicated, if you receive Him as the promised one, if you receive the kingdom of God, not only will you get the light, but He says even more will be added. You will receive even greater light. Jesus says the kingdom will not remain hidden. It is being revealed, and those who respond will receive even greater light. They will understand the kingdom in a greater way. But how we respond is a critical factor in what we will see. Sometimes we can be discouraged as we consider these these truths. We can... It just seems that the nation in which we live right now is running further and further away from the gospel light. And as immorality increases, sometimes it seems as though even what remains might be being taken away. But I think it's critical for us to not get discouraged. We, we ourselves might give heed to the light, but then we, we must be good sowers of the Word. Right? We must be bearers of the light to others. Because here's the reality. Even though we see a world running headlong toward self-destruction, God is still at work. Even though we see a world running headlong toward self-destruction, God is still at work. Because as we read on, Jesus gives the next parable, and we see that the kingdom of God grows by often unknown means. The kingdom of God grows by often unknown means. Can you bump to the next slide there? I don't have my thing open. Verse 26, And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. 
and the seed sprouts and grows. He, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain, grain in the ear. When the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So man sows the seed of the kingdom. He's sowing the word of God. And, and it's, it's, this goes, reminds us back of the previous parable of the soils, where the sower sows the word, right? He's, he's going out, he's proclaiming the word. And there the focus was on the soils and the receptivity to the word. Here is the focus is on the, the way that just it, it happens in what might be described as a mysterious way. How does, this, how does this happen? What's the process that this happens? And the sower, he doesn't know. He sows the word, but, but things happen in a mysterious way. I like how it describes the sower here. He sleeps and rises night and day. He's just going about his daily life. He's, he's planted the seed in the ground, and he's just going about his daily life, just living his life. And yet, there's things happening in the ground, things that he can't see, things that he's not aware of, doesn't know all what's, what the ins and outs of what's happening there. It says, it says, he doesn't know how, but it sprouts and it grows. Earlier, Jennifer was talking about these tomato seeds. It's just like, well, those seeds shouldn't even be growing. Like, how does that happen, right? Well, that's what we got going on here. This, this seed, it's sprouting, it's growing. How? We don't know. And yet, there's a miraculous thing taking place. Verse 28, it just, the earth just produces by itself. It's just like, poof, it's just happening. Of course, we know that that's not, not what's happening, but it's the illustration there. God is at work. The seed did not grow because the farmer forced it to grow. The farmer wasn't there after he planted the seed, demanding of the seed, now you must grow. No, the work was done by the Lord. God was doing the work with the seed. And that's the point that Jesus is getting at here. We can be discouraged by the state of the world today. And we can wonder, how is it that the God's kingdom could possibly survive with the way things are going? Mark's audience was a persecuted church in, a, in Rome where everything was just awful for believers at that time. They might have been wondering, how does the kingdom of God keep going? How do we, how do we survive this? And Jesus reminds us, we must remember that God will do His work and He will bring the seed that was planted to full maturity and bearing fruit, even though we don't see how that could possibly happen. Now we think about different individuals that we know within our lives and we think of people that we've shared the good news of the gospel with and we want them to respond in truth to the word of God and it just seems like they're not there, they're not doing it, they're not, they're not receiving the truth of God's word and we can get so exasperated about their refusal to believe. But the truth is, we don't know what God is doing. We don't know how the truth that we're communicating is impacting them. We don't know how God might use that seed that is planted, and it, it might not be seem to be doing anything now, but we don't know how God might be using that in the future. Years down the line, God may call this information to mind for that individual, and they could trust in Christ, and it might be through your testimony. We just don't know. 
There have been so many testimonies of individuals who planted seeds and they, they never got to see the fruit of the harvest. And yet, God was at work. I hope that's an encouragement. The reality is we don't know the condition of the soil into which we are planting. We don't, we don't know if we're sowing into rocky or thorny or, or, or good soil or, or hard soil. We don't know. We may think that we're just, oh yeah, man, that person was just so hard-hearted. And they may have presented that way. Where it, just, it just seemed like it was, they were a hard-hearted individual. But we do not know how God is going to use the implanted word to affect change in a person's life. And since we aren't commanded to force the growth, and since we aren't charged with the responsibility to create heart change within a person, we don't have to worry about those things. We are faithful to communicate God's truth and leave the results up to the Lord. I think of Paul as he says in 1 Corinthians, I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the increase. God's the one who's at work here. Yes, I, I, I planted, I, I taught, I, I preached the word. Apollos came along. He taught and he proclaimed the truth. He figuratively watered the seed. He watered the soil there, right? But God is the one who gave the fruit. He's the one who caused the growth. Salvation is God's work. For fruit bearing is God's work. We get to be His messengers and tools within His hands, but ultimately it is God who does the work, and that should cause us to go out with joy and without fear. Think about that. It's, it's not up to us how people respond. So there's great freedom in the proclamation of the gospel because the results aren't in our hands. God's word will not return void. It will accomplish the purpose for which it is sense. But then there are sometimes, there are those precious moments where God does give us the blessing of participating in the harvest as well where we get to plant and we get to see the fruit of the gospel sprout forth and we see people applying God's truth to their life context and it's a, it's a wonderful, joyous thing when we see God producing fruit in the hearts of an individual. Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is how it grows. We, we plant and, and, and it grows in ways that are mysterious to us and even sometimes in individuals that we never would have guessed would have ever come to faith in Christ. And yet there they are. So Jesus wants us to be encouraged even in the midst of a passage where there are many who are rejecting Jesus and rejecting the message. The kingdom often grows by unknown means. So the kingdom does grow, but even as we consider in the context of Jesus' ministry here, all right, but the kingdom is just so small, right? Well, Jesus gives us one last parable to teach us that the kingdom may have started small, but it will grow to epic proportions. The kingdom started small, but it will grow to epic proportions. Verse 30 and he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. 
Yet when it is sown, it, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can nest in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. Well, here we have this third agricultural parable that describes the ultimate result of God's working to establish His kingdom. Several things to note here. Note the size of the mustard seed, and I've got a picture of a mustard seed. I don't know if you've ever seen one before, but it is very, very small, about the size of a grain of sand. Now, I need you to know that there are some individuals who are uh, skeptics of the Bible who will look at this passage and say, aha, I found a mistake in the Bible. This, this mustard seed, it says here in the text, that it is the smallest of all seeds on earth. But the mustard seed is not the smallest of all seeds on the earth. There are other seeds that are actually a little bit smaller. Jesus made a mistake. Is this a cause for us to have doubts in the truthfulness of the Word of God? No, as Jesus was speaking, of course, this is, this, he's in the middle of a parable and he's, he's speaking this and... Uh, at that time, this was the smallest seed, especially the agricultural seeds that were known to uh, the communities there. So the, and it was a common analogy that was used in the land in those days to say, to, oh man, that was, it was as small as a mustard seed. Right? That was a common colloquial way of speaking. So Jesus used a common colloquial language and he was communicating something about that, something that indeed was very, very small. So we don't have any reason to doubt and to question what our Lord says. That's just kind of a side thing. Let's get back to what Jesus is teaching here. This is a very small, very small seed. And yet when it grows, it becomes a very large plant. Lar and he says larger than, uh, larger than any of the garden plants and puts out large branches. So what does this tiny seed grow into? Now, I want you to know that if you were to Google, you know, mustard seed, mustard tree, or something like that, there's a lot of pictures that are a bit disingenuous online. People will Photoshop pictures of the, of the seed next to, like, these massive trees. I've seen one of an oak tree. I've seen one of, like, a, a sycamore tree or something of that nature. And it's like, yeah, that seed doesn't grow into that. Right? that that's not what happens. <clears throat> what does happen is that this mustard plant, it grows and it, it almost can be described more of like a bush-like plant than a tree, but, but here is what this seed will grow into. Now that, they can grow and maybe in roughly about 10 feet high. It's very bush-like and very unruly in many ways. You can trim it back and it can look a little bit more tree-like, but it's very large. It sprawls out and it is, it is such where certainly large enough that birds and other animals could be proud to call it home. Build, a, build some nest in there, make, some, you know, make, a, make a home on the ground somewhere in there. Yeah, tunnel, it, tunnel your way in there. I'm sure you know, if you could hollow it out, it'd make a great kid's fort even. You, know, you could just do stuff like that inside. Small seed, large plants. Those are the obvious details. The kingdom of God may have started small, but in the end it's going to be very large. But there are significant details here. First, Jesus says the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. I believe those refer to every national ethnic and so, uh, people from every national ethnic and socioeconomic background. 
people from every background, every walk of life, God's kingdom is not limited to one people group, but all can find rest in Christ. Second, the, the, it's, it's fascinating that Jesus uses the, the imagery of a mustard seed and the mustard plant in this context because the mustard plant, in many places, it's, it's considered a weed and many people seek to kill it and destroy it. God's kingdom is not without those who would seek to harm the kingdom. But lastly, and, and probably most importantly for us to understand this, this text, there's, there's an Old Testament allusion here that I think is so important to the meaning of this passage. And the idea of the birds of the air nesting in the branches of the tree, it can be found at a few places within the Old Testament. And we're going to take a moment to bounce to those passages and look at them. There's two passages in Ezekiel and one in Daniel. And I'll have the references up on the screen here so we're not flipping around so much. Uh, but feel free to write them down if you want to look at them more later. The first passage, we're going to be in Jan Daniel chapter 4. This is a passage where there's King Nebuchadnezzar. He had a dream where in that dream, uh, there's all these wise men that could not interpret the dream and he's, he's explaining the dream and trying to get its interpretation. And so here comes Daniel to explain the dream. Nebuchadnezzar is explaining. This is Jan Daniel chapter 4, verse 10. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. This is referring, this dream was referring to King Nebuchadnezzar, and, and Daniel's going to give this interpretation. And in that dream, we have the King Nebuchadnezzar, of course, he's king of the Babylonian Empire, the most, the most powerful empire that ruled all the known worlds. But it didn't last. Nebuchadnezzar was disturbed by this dream because there was a voice that spoke, it's time to chop this tree down. And that empire fell. As mighty as that tree was, it would not remain but was cut down. Next, let's look at Ezekiel chapter 31, verse 1. In the eleventh year, in the third month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, say to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his multitude, Whom are you like in your greatness? Behold, Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon, with beautiful branches and forest shade, and of towering height, its top among the clouds. The waters nourished it, and, deep, and uh, the deep made it grow tall, making its rivers flow around the place of its planting, sending forth its streams to, to all the trees of the field. So it towered high above all the trees of the field, and it, its boughs grew large and its branches long from the abundant water in its shoots. All the birds of the heavens made their nests in its boughs. Under its branches, all the beasts of the field gave birth to their young, and under its shade lived all the green, great nations. Here we have God using a past empire and its decline to teach a lesson to the arrogant king of Egypt. It says, the Assyrian Empire in its day was a, another great empire, and it was very great. 
He was compared to this great cedar tree, glorious and mighty. Everyone was under the authority of Assyria. But if we read on in the chapter, we see that it too would be cut down, its limbs stripped bare, its logs left to rot. As mighty as that tree was, it was not to last. Finally, let's go over to Ezekiel 17 and verse 22. And in this context here, just to, just to set the stage a little bit, this passage is about judgment on the nation of Judah. They sinned grievously, so God was using Babylon to bring judgment. But though God was cutting down the nation of Israel and Judah, they will one day be restored. And that's where we pick things up in verse 22 of Ezekiel 17. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one. I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel I will plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches birds of every sort will nest. And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree and I make high the low tree. Dry up the green tree and make the green dry tree flourish. I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it. This was God's promise to restore the nation of Israel, and we believe that this takes place at the end of the tribulation period when Jesus Christ comes back and rules on earth for a thousand years, establishing Israel on the earth. Oh, what does this all have to do with now the mustard plant? All right, bring us back to Mark chapter 4. Jesus says in Mark 4 that the kingdom of God is like a mustard plant and that all the birds of the air will find its rest in its branches. And that would have certainly triggered this imagery for the listeners. They're familiar with these Old Testament texts. This is what would have been calming to mind here. Oh, there's, there's these massive trees and these, all these birds are nesting in the branches there. Mighty empires, so we, they would have thought of Babylon and Assyria. Mighty empires in their heydays. But this was about the kingdom of God. This is God's kingdom and what God sets up, no one that cuts down. So when that imagery is in place, the use of the mustard plant is, is a lot more jarring. When we compare that, that picture of that mustard tree and we think of the mighty cedars, oh, Babylon is this mighty tree, right? This massive tree. Assyria was a, was a cedar. Cedar trees grow so tall. And even the future event for Israel was pictured as God taking a twig off of another cedar tree and making another cedar tree. Like, and now we have a mustard plant. <laughs> like, that's not exactly a cedar there. Uh, that, wh- why, is, why is God using this mustard plant imagery? Well, this is how God chooses to accomplish His purposes. He does things in such a way that when we look at it, we're left with nothing to say except only God could have taken that and turned it into that. No man could accomplish this. This cannot be achieved through human effort and and human cunning. 
Only God can build His kingdom. He says, through the, he says, the Lord says through Ezekiel, I bring down the tall tree and I make the low tree tall. God can make even the mustard seed produce such a large tree that all the nations find rest in its branches. So we have this dual image here within this text. The kingdom of God grows now and it, and it spreads as, as people come to faith in Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is growing. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is a present reality. That is happening. It started small with just a few disciples and at times it may not look like much and sometimes it looks like a train wreck because of the things that we do. But nevertheless, God's truth prevails. It does continue to grow, and it grows and it reaches out to more people such that all the birds of the air, that's people from every nation, they will find rest in Christ. But we also know there is coming a day when God's kingdom will be set up on the earth in the millennial kingdom, and Christ will rule and reign over all. The righteous judge will reign in truth. Right now we live in a sin cursed sin-cursed, sick, and hurting world, and we look forward to that day when everything will be set right. When Jesus says, truth and righteousness will prevail. So as we consider these parables on what the kingdom of God is like, I, I hope this brings both encouragement to us, but then also motivation for our own lives. We can be encouraged as we sow gospel seeds that, that God is the one who actually does the work of producing fruit in that person. We don't understand it. We don't know exactly how that all works out. But God is the one who does it and the people that God uses, it may surprise us. We can be encouraged that though the kingdom started small and though as it grew, it was and is hated by many and there are those who would bring attacks against it, yet it still grew and will continue to grow and one day that kingdom will be visible at the return of Christ and we will reign with Him. We need to be motivated. We can be motivated knowing that we're not responsible for changing hearts. That's, that's God's business. We sow the word with confidence. We don't know the condition of the hearts of the hearers, so we don't let that stop us. We just keep on sowing, keep on proclaiming the truth of God's word. We never know when the harvest will be ready. And finally, we need to be motivated to listen to the words of Christ those who listen receive more light. Those who reject only walk further into darkness. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Pay attention to what you hear, as Jesus says. So despite the wickedness of this present world, God is accomplishing His purposes. The kingdom of God is advancing. The gospel is producing fruit Christ is building His church, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Lord, I thank You so much for these parables. Thank You for this teaching. Thank You that we have confidence in knowing that Jesus Christ, His Word prevails. The gospel prevails. The kingdom prevails. There are many times, Lord, where it seems as though hope is lost. It seems as though the, the kingdom is being attacked on all sides. It seems as though 
the darkness is winning. But we know that that is not the case. You are accomplishing your purposes. I pray that we can rest in that, rejoice in that, that we would look to you and be faithful sowers of the word as we go about sowing in the fields of the world. Thank you, and I praise you, and all, all this, and I pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.